right, so we are in Ephesians chapter number 4. We got through verse number 6 last week, and verses 1 through 6, Paul was really speaking about uh, the unity of the body. And remember, when Paul was writing this, it was a transition time when uh, the Jews were having to deal with the fact that now the gospel is being extended to the Gentiles. So they were having a problem with it. Uh, they hated Paul for, for him. Uh, they looked at him as a traitor because he was a Pharisee and he was a man of, of the uh, Jewish law, but yet now he's, in their mind, switched sides. And he's uh, taken up with these, uh, what they thought were uh, <clears throat> blaspheming uh, Christians and um, that he, Paul, was trying to uh, show them that it, that, that we should come together in unity. In verse number 4, he says there's one body, one spirit, even as uh, you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. So he's saying there's not a, there's not a Jewish God, there's not a Gentile God, there's not a Baptist God, there's not a Methodist God, uh, there's one God. And people have different uh, worship styles and they have different uh, sometimes doctrinal beliefs. But as long as the gospel of salvation is the same, then we're all part of the same body of Christ. Uh, you know, it's it, sometimes uh, it, it's foolish for us to think that everybody should agree on everything. Uh, you could get, if you have more than one person in a room, you're not going to agree on everything. I don't care what it is. It could be on what we're going to eat for dinner. Uh, you know, half the time, my wife and I don't agree even on what we want to eat for dinner. Uh, but... I eat whatever she fixes or whatever. If she says we're going to Burger King, then I eat Burger King. So um, I've been trained well. So now we get into verse number 7. And Paul's kind of switching gears on us here. So in the first six verses, he was talking about our relationship with other people, with other Christians. Now he's going to get into um, spiritual gifts. So let's read in verse number 7. He said, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So he just got through talking about how that we're all one and we're all equal in the eyes of God. But now he begins to explain that while we're equal, we're also very different. We have different gifts. And God uh, gives or Christ gives us those gifts. And it says, according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So that grace that is given to each person is given according to the amount of the gift of Christ. So we all have different gifts. We all have different talents. We have different personality. And God gave us those gifts. Uh, and we use them uh, in that way. So he's going to give us uh, some positions that... Uh, were in the church, but also uh, we have to understand that not everybody has the same gifts, and not everybody even has equal amounts of those same gifts. Uh, you know, there's uh, people that, uh, like Todd, he can he can pick up any kind of musical instrument and just start playing it. He has a he has a talent for music. Uh, I've always kind of envied uh, the preachers that, like Chad and 
Pastor Gary that can sing because people can invite them to church. They can sing and preach. Uh, they invite me to church. They better just expect me to preach because I'm, I'm not going to be singing. Uh, so there's different uh, styles. People, even, even people that have been called into the ministry of preaching, there's different styles and the different ways they present it. Uh, and I learned a long time ago that uh, I remember there was a man on, on television and uh, he was a preacher and he was he wasn't preaching a message, but he was being interviewed and he was giving a talk and he had long curly hair. And I looked at him and honestly, in my heart, I said, well, what kind of a preacher are you? You got that long curly hair. I'm like, you look like somebody that just was in a rock band. Well, in the interview, turns out he was in an acid rock band for years, and God called him to preach. And now, do you want to know who he ministers to? He ministers to those people that like acid rock music because he can identify with them, and he understands where they are, and he understands how they feel and what they like and everything else. So that man is able to reach people that I could never reach because I don't look like them, and I don't act like them, and I don't think like them. So they can identify more with him than with me. And it dawned on me at that point, the Holy Spirit told me, said, see, he has a ministry that's different from yours. He has, he has people that he can reach that you can't reach. And there's people that I could reach that wouldn't listen to him. Uh, so as God gives that out, as Christ gives it to us, the grace that's measured out, he measures it out according to what he wants. Um, so then if, if we look, there's three lists of spiritual gifts in the New Testament. There's one right here in Ephesians uh, chapter 4, verse number 11. There's also Romans 12, uh, verses 3 through verse 8. And in 1 Corinthians 4, down through verse 31. And they're not all the same. Now, it's interesting that all three of those locations, when it talks about spiritual gifts, uh, all those books were written by Paul. But he doesn't, he doesn't give the same spiritual gifts every time. Uh, and I am convinced that he didn't name the only spiritual gifts, that there's a lot of different spiritual gifts uh, that uh, God gives to people. Um, so the, the thing that I really want to look at, so I'm going to jump over to Romans uh, chapter number 12 and just read a few verses of Scripture. If you have your Bible, you can go there as well. Um, Paul says in verse number 3, for I say through the grace given to me that every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. And this is the uh, point of the scripture here. According as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. So in other words, God deals it out. We don't, we don't choose what gift we have. We don't choose our talents or our, or our abilities. God gives those to us and then in verse number six he says and then or having then gifts differing or being different according to the grace that is given to us so God gives everybody uh, different different gifts and different amounts of those gifts and then he said uh, in 1 Corinthians 
chapter number 12, I'll read a few verses of scripture there. In verse number 4, he said, now there are diversities of gifts. In other words, there's different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are differences of administration, but the same Lord. And there are difference, and there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. So what he's saying here is really important. He says that there's different gifts, but we're all in the same spirit. We all have the Holy Spirit of God living in us. But then he goes on to say that there's difference uh, of administrations and there's different kinds of operations. There, there are people that uh, have church services very similar to ours, and there's people that have different kinds of church services. There's people that have different kinds of music. There's people that, have, uh, that do things differently than we do it here. I remember one church uh, that I went to and visited with some friends of ours. Um, they never took up an offering, and I thought that was odd. It was a really big church, and they didn't take up an offering at all. But then they actually did. After the altar call, they had everybody set back down, and they took up the offering. That was odd to me. I had never seen it done like that. Uh, but that does that mean it was wrong to do it after the altar call? No, that's just how they did it. So there's different operations. There's different ways of doing things. And Paul is telling us here that it, that it doesn't have to always be our way. And then verse number 11, he says, But all these, talking about all these gifts that he talked about, uh, worketh one in the same spirit, dividing to every man severally or separately, and here's the key, as he wills. So the gifts that I have, the gifts that you have, the talents that we have, the abilities that we have were given to us by God how he chose to give them out. So I can't be jealous of, of Brother Chris because he can play the guitar and I can't. I can't be jealous of somebody else because they can do something that I can't. We have to be joyful for other people. Thank God that uh, God gave people the ability to play music because I think our services is better when we have music. I think our services are great when we have uh, singing. Thank God that he gave people the talent to get up and sing in a trio or a quartet. Uh, I love the congregational singing, but I also like to listen to folks sing as well. And so we can't be envious of that or jealous of that, but yet we should be glorifying God because of it. And in verse number 18 of 1 Corinthians 12, he said, But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it has pleased him. So God puts the body together. God puts the church together, and we are what we are because that's where God wants us to be. Not everybody can be the pastor. Not everybody can, can sing. Not everybody can preach. Not everybody can teach. Uh, but one thing that everybody can do is pray. And there's, there's a need uh, for uh, lay people. There's a need for everything that God has given the people talent to do. Sometimes God gives people the talent for organization, and they're really good. They can, they can organize vacation Bible schools. They can organize... Um, uh, the uh, Sunday school program and things like that. And that's a great talent that, that people have. And all those talents are important. And we need all the different parts of the body. And then in verse number 25, he said that there should be no schism in the body or separation, but that the members should have the same care one for another. 
So no matter what God has called us to do, we have to look at each other as everybody is needful and everybody is important and everybody is special. Uh, you know, when we think about uh, Paul gives an example in uh, there in Romans and Corinthians and in Ephesians about the body of Christ and how the church were the body of Christ. Well, if you think about it, what part of your body is not needful? Anybody want to cut your pinky finger off and do without it? Your pinky finger is not that important, is it? What about your ear? Cut your ear off. you got two of them. You can still hear. Poke out one of your eyes. You can still see. No, none of us want to lose any part of our body, right? So and if you think about it, uh, police officers and people in the military, when I was in the military, we wore helmets and we wore bulletproof vests because we wanted to protect our vital organs. Don't want to don't want to hurt my brain. Don't want to hurt my heart or my lungs. Does that mean I want my finger cut off? Well, no, it's important too. Uh, but that's the way we have to see it. And, and the Bible tells us that all the members of the body are equally important and depend on each other. So now when we look at verses 8 down through verse number 10, these all kind of go together. So we'll read uh, all three of them. Wherefore, or because of this, because uh, God gives out a measure of gifts according to as he uh, chooses to, wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto all men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might feel all things. Now, when we look at these verses of Scripture, um, we see, first of all, that Paul said that, he, that Christ led captivity captive. And he says that uh, Jesus, before he ascended up into heaven, he descended first into the lower parts of the earth. Now, we have to understand that when you uh, read Scripture, uh, some things can be interpreted in, in different ways. And sometimes people read things and interpret things in a different way. But if you really study these verses, you will find that most Bible scholars and most people that, that write Bible commentaries and things like that, there's two main uh, trains of thought on what these verses mean and what it means when he said he left captivity captive. One of them is that when Jesus died on the cross and then rose from the dead, he defeated all those things which bind us. He defeated Satan, he defeated sin, he defeated death, hell, and the grave, and he ascended into heaven as a victorious conqueror with all his foes captive under his control. And that is seen in Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. He said, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, am alive forevermore, and have the keys of hell and of death. So he's got the keys. And if you think about it, who's in control? The person with the keys. You can't drive your car without a key. You can't get into this building without a key unless you break a window or something. So where's, where's the devil and where are the demons? Well, they're in hell. Well, who's got the keys to hell? Not the devil. Christ has the keys to hell. The devil doesn't have the keys. He doesn't have the authority over death. Jesus has the authority over death. 
And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55 through 57, it says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we can see that that interpretation of this scripture is valid. But there's another one that um, people tend to see uh, when they read this, and that is that these captives that he said where he, he led captivity captive, these captives were not his enemies, but they were his followers. They were uh, lost sinners who were once held captive by sin and Satan and have now been taken captive by Christ. And uh, also that when it says that he descended down to the lower parts of the earth, what, what the other theory is for that one is that uh, we see that the rich man uh, was, was in hell. He lifted up his eyes and he saw Lazarus afar off in Abraham's bosom. And he said, Father Abraham, let Lazarus dip his finger in water that it might cool my tongue. And Abraham said, there's a great gulf fixed between you and I. You see, and that gives us the idea of, of what Jesus called paradise. When he was on the cross, he told the thief on the cross, this day you shall be with me in paradise. So what we know is, is that when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just lay in a tomb for three days. He actually went down to paradise. And why did people go to paradise instead of to heaven? It was because people prior to the cross could not be with God the Father because their sins had only been covered temporarily. They hadn't been paid for. So they could not have access to God until Christ paid the ransom for their sins. So what Jesus did is he went down to paradise and he took all the saints of old and he took them to heaven after he presented himself to the Father. You notice when Mary came to him in the uh, garden, he said, don't touch me. I have not yet ascended to my Father. So he had to ascend into heaven and he had to present himself before God the Father so that God could approve of the offering of the sacrifice for sin. And then he could go get his bride out of paradise and take them with him into heaven. And that's where it says, I believe that uh, this interpretation, that he led captivity captive. Those that were captured and being held in this prison, good prison of paradise because they couldn't go to heaven, he took captivity captive and he, he brought them right into the throne room of God the Father and presented them to him. And Abraham got to stand before God the Father. Isaac got to stand before God the Father. Uh, Moses got to stand before God the Father. And they got to be entered into heaven. And then I also believe that the scripture that says that hell hath expounded its borders, I believe that once paradise was emptied out, hell took over the entire uh, area, that there's no longer a paradise, there's no longer a gulf fixed between, that hell expounded its borders and got bigger. So either one, here's the great thing. Either one of those interpretations that you want to do is fine because both of them are true. So if you read it, that it means that he defeated the captivity that he took captive with death, hell, the grave, and the devil, and sin, that's true. And if you believe it was the captivity's captive was the, the saints of old that were in paradise waiting uh, to go to God the Father, that's true too. So either way you want to interpret that, 
is fine because they're both absolutely 100% true. Now, here's the thing. If the rich man could look and see Lazarus in Abraham's bosom, think about this. There was two people on the cross with Jesus. One cursed him and said, if you be the son of God, save yourself and us. And the other one said, hey, you shut up. He's a good man. Father, remember me when thou come into thy kingdom. Think about this. When they died, the one thief went to hell. The other thief went to paradise. The thief that was on the cross that cursed Jesus was in hell and could see Jesus in paradise and knew I made a big mistake. I believe that everybody in hell, just like the, just like, uh, the rich man could see Lazarus, they all saw Christ. They all saw Christ come down and speak to Abraham and take all his, part of his bride home to be with the father. They could all see it. I believe that. I believe that uh, I, what I picture in my mind, and I don't have scripture to back this up, Greg, but I picture in my mind that when Jesus uh, went to paradise, that he backed Satan up into a corner and he said, give me the keys. I'm taking control. I've got it from here on out. And I believe Satan, there was joy in Satan's heart. There was joy in all the demons of hell when Jesus died on the cross. But it was just a few hours later that he was nose to nose with Satan. And he said, son, your day is gone. You've had it. And I've paid the price. And now all these folks are going uh, to see the Father. Now, uh, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 and 19, he says, For Christ also has suffered for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which he also went and preached unto the spirits in prison. And I believe that's talking about that he went down and he preached, he presented himself to the to the saints of old in paradise. And they had to ultimately accept him and believe on him, which all of them obviously did. And then uh, they could be ushered in to heaven. So then when we see verse number 11, now it gets into where he starts naming uh, the gifts, some of the gifts. And he said, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. So let's stop right there before we go on to verse number 12. So don't get confused about these titles. So an apostle is a delegate, a messenger, or one sent forth with orders. So the apostles were the disciples that sat under Jesus' teaching, and he told the disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel. So that was his mission to them. And as we talked about before, some people do not consider Paul an apostle because he didn't set under the teaching of Jesus, nor was he sent out by Jesus. But we talked about how that he was because he met Jesus on the Damascus Road, on the road to Damascus. And then he went and communed with him for three years in the mountains before he came back and started preaching the gospel uh, to the Gentiles. So... Uh, we have to understand that when when Paul was writing here, apostles were on the earth, but we don't have apostles today. Then he said prophets. Prophets are people 
that uh, foretell the future. They, they foretell of things to come. So you say, wait a minute, that's all the Old Testament was the prophets. There were not any New Testament prophets. Oh, yeah, there were. What about John who wrote the book of Revelation? If that's not foretelling the future, if, that, if that's not saying what's going to happen in the tribulation, in the rapture of the church, everything else. So you have to understand that apostles and prophets were necessary in the day because they didn't have the Holy Scriptures like we have. They didn't have Paul's writings. Paul was in the, in the act of writing them. And that's why that we don't have apostles and prophets today because they were needful for the time, but now they're not needed. Um, and in Ephesians chapter 3, uh, verse number 2 through verse number 6, we'll see that. Uh, if we skip back just one page here in my Bible. Um, he said, if you heard the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given me to you word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery as I wrote it afore in a few words, whereby when we read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So we know that there was apostles and prophets because Paul said so. He said, right now, God has revealed that to the apostles and to the prophets. And I heard, a, I heard an analogy that a man used, and I, I really liked it. For the people that say, no, 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 uh, apostles and prophets are still here today. There's, there's people that claim to be a prophet of God that is, that, that is adding to the Scripture uh, and things like that. Uh, those are just cults and false religion. There's no apostles and prophets today. And he made an analogy which made a, a lot of sense to me, and I really like it, so I'm going to share it with all of you. He said, when you're building a house, he said, you get the guys that are going to dig and pour the foundation, and you get the people that's going to put the roof on. And, but once the roof is on, you don't need those people anymore, so they go away. The contractor is there for the whole job. But when the, when the people pour in the foundation, you have those people come in. Once the foundation is laid, you don't need the foundation people anymore. Now you need the people to build the walls. When you get the roof on, you have the roofing people come in. Once they finish the roof, they go, and they're not there anymore. So we can see that in the dispensation of grace at this time, in this transition period, at the death and resurrection of Christ, there needed to be apostles because they had to get the gospel out. They had to write the gospel for us. And that's where the apostles came into play and the prophets. So they were needful for the time. But once that time passed, we no longer needed apostles and prophets anymore. So they died with the, with the people that were the apostles and the prophets of the day. And then he gets into uh, some other things that are still relevant today. Uh, he said, some are evangelists, some are pastors and teachers. Now, an evangelist is simply a, a preacher of the gospel. Uh, what we typically think of as an evangelist is not necessarily a pastor of a church, but one that travels, and their main purpose is to, to preach salvation, and, and they see a lot of souls saved because that's their talent, that's their skill. There, there are men, and I'm telling you, I can give you examples of men that can can give great altar calls. 
I mean, their altar calls make, make me want to go up, and I don't even know what I want to pray for. But they, they're just very talented at presenting the gospel message in a simple way that draws lost people in, that, that other uh, uh, preachers don't have that skill set. I mean, we can all preach salvation, and we can all see people saved, but there's some people, and you've seen them, you, you know that when they preach, they get lost people's attention more so than anybody else. And that's what he's talking about here about evangelists. And then there's pastors. And a pastor is what's considered an under-shepherd. They're the overseer of the flock. Uh, they are the ones that lead the local church and the local church body. Now, some people, uh, because he didn't say and some, because he said and gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers there's a lot of people that put those two together and say a pastor is a teacher and they're talking about the same thing um and that's okay uh, i believe that a pastor ought to be able to teach the word of god uh, but i think also that some people are given the skill of teaching and we have we have sunday school teachers here at this church and some people are really gifted with teaching small children and we've seen those teachers that I'm not gifted for teaching small children. You put me in a room with a bunch of six-year-olds, they're not probably not going to learn much because I'm, I, I, I'm not going to be able to deal with 26-year-olds. But we know people that that's, that's where they live, and that's what they love to do, and the kids love them. And then you have people like we have here at this church that's really, really good with leading uh, young people, middle school and high school age people, and they're able to deal with those uh, young people and deal with them at their level and then we have teachers that's able to teach different things adult classes there's i've known people that their specialty in teaching was prophecy they they were known as prophecy teachers and about every time they taught they taught revelation they taught old testament prophecy that's what they do so whether we separate that out or whether we put them together i, I still think it's relevant both that pastors should be able to teach the word of god but I also think that God gave talent to certain people uh, to be great teachers and to be able to reach people on their level. Now, I'm going to share a quote from John Phillips. He said, the gifts of the apostles and prophets were found foundational. And we saw that uh, back in chapter 2, verse number 20, uh, when he said, um, the household of God are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So that's what it was built on. That was the foundation with Jesus being the chief cornerstone. So, and he says, we have missionaries and preachers today, but we do not have apostles and prophets. Those gifts were temporary and transitional, intended to help the early church become established according to the Holy Spirit's plan. And I agree with John Phillips wholeheartedly on that. And that's why I wanted to share it with you because I thought he said it really, really well. So now let's get into uh, verse number 12. Well, actually, let's go ahead and we will uh, pause there. We are at time, so we will pick up in verse number 12 next week. <laughs>